Religious or not, we all put our faith in something. God, money, science, power, good deeds, whatever it is, we all put our faith in something. Followers of Jesus put their faith in him. And of all the historical events we might rely on, his resurrection stands above them all. At the very center of Christianity is the wholehearted belief that Christ really did rise from the grave. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And on the third day, he was raised by the power of God. That's what Christians hold on to. That's where we place our ultimate hope for this life and for the next. But if it didn't happen, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then Christians are, as the Apostle Paul writes, the group of people to be pitied the most. So here we are, believers, doubters, and seekers. What can we know for certain about the events of Easter morning? We all put our faith in something, and whatever that is really, really matters. May God give us eyes to see. Guys, good morning. Oh, I hope that clap wasn't for me. It was awkward, like three people. Uh, that's for Jesus. We want to clap for Jesus. You can clap all day, but don't clap for me. Uh, man, I'm thankful to be here today on Resurrection Sunday morning, um, and uh, thankful that we get to, to talk about the, the crux, the foundation of our beliefs as Christians. Um, and, and so that video we just shared says, we all put our faith in something. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to talk about, uh, talk about Resurrection Sunday, and we're going to talk about the resurrection just for a moment uh, and then we're going to talk about the implications of it. Um, the, the reality is we're, we're all faced with this, this truth of, of, of a reality of did Jesus really raise from the dead? Is that a real thing that happened? And, uh, and I think we can, we can find in the scripture that there's several things that can give us confidence that there's historical evidence that this was a real event that really did happen. Uh, even, the, even the greatest skeptics and, and non-Christian historians, nobody debates whether Jesus was real. Nobody debates whether he was crucified. And nobody debates really whether there was an empty tomb. Like that happened. And so we all are challenged with, well, what does that mean if Jesus really was Resurrected. There's some things that, that I've gone through in my life, raised as a Christian, and then gone through seasons in college where I started questioning things, and I, I asked all these things, is this real, or, or what is Jesus, is it real? And, and there's, there's three things I just want to give you to kind of lay a foundation that can give you some confidence from the Gospels, uh, from, from the, the Bible, that just from a logical standpoint, point you toward the reality that a man came and was resurrected. He came back to life. Now, you may have all kinds of other questions about Christianity, and they all really hinge on this one thing. If this really happened, then we take the rest of this to be true. Right? This is it. If that didn't happen, this, this is useless. 
And so there's three things that I just want to give you just as a, a take some notes. This is going to be really quick. And then we'll get into the message today. And before I give you those, I'll tell you why I want to give them to you. Last week we were at a softball game. Our little girl, Rosie, she's, uh, she's 13. She's playing junior high softball. She's sixth grade, so she's on the B team. And uh, they were playing a school, and I think that school maybe had some second and third graders on the team. There was these little short girls at the end they were in the bottom of the lineup getting up to bat. And when they were getting up to bat, I told Beth, I said, they have no intention of swinging. Like, they were so tiny, they didn't have a strike zone. Like, why would you swing? There's never, nobody can throw a strike. So they would get up there, and they were holding the bat. And, and there was one that it, both schools ended up cheering her on. They were, like, every time they were getting ready to pitch, everybody was yelling something. Swing, don't swing, good eye, you know, whatever it is. And finally, the little girl uh, and I was feeling for her. She, she looked at the coach after the, the, one of these pitches, and she said, I don't know what to do. Everybody's yelling at me. <laughs> and, and she had all these voices in her ear, so many that she couldn't discern the coach or what was right. And you see, the, the enemy in our culture will do this about the resurrection, in your life and about Jesus in your life. It will put all these things that cloud it, that make you question it, and you can't hear you. Like, well, what's true anymore? Is there absolute truth? And we know for certain that when, they, when the disciples asked Jesus, when he said, I'm going to prepare your place, he said, well, we don't want to get there. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was that simple, that there is real truth. You see, the world will tell you things like, man, if you, if you just vote this way, life's going to get so much better. It's going to get so much better if you vote this way, I promise. It'll tell you, if you just do what makes you happy, you know, what feels good in the moment, you know, you know drink the drink, take the pill, do all the things, you're going to be so happy in life. It'll say, uh, 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 get women struggle with this, right? Get the filler, get this procedure, do whatever. Oh, you'll be beautiful and you'll feel so happy. And it all ends with an emptiness. It takes you nowhere. And none of it's true. You hear these voices, wear these clothes, get this degree, make this much money, live in this neighborhood, then all your problems will be gone and then they're not. It's empty. There's one voice, there's one truth, and it hinges on the resurrection. Three things to think about. One, let me read John 20, starting in verse 1. The gospel according to John, starting in verse 1. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter. That's also the author of this letter. It's funny that he made that clear. And reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. 
Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until they still hadn't understood, for until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said Jesus must rise from the dead. There's three things here. One is that this begins, the first witness was the testimony of a woman. If the disciples were going to make this up, if the early church was going to make this up, this would have never been what they would have chosen to say. The first people that saw it was women, because at that time, women weren't even allowed to give testimony in a court of law. It wouldn't have made sense that this was recorded, that women were Mary Magdalene and her friends were the first ones that got there. Second thing is that these apostles, the people who, who started what may be, uh, may, may be put forward as a rumor or maybe that they went and stole the body and said that he was really resurrected, you see, they all died as martyrs. Well, why would you create this lie and, then, and, and, and just keep arguing it until you died? These people really believed it was true, and they lived and saw it. The, the first written text or history of this was only 20 years after the event supposedly happened. It wasn't like in the 6th century we came up with like, oh yeah, 600 years ago. No, while people were still alive that experienced it and witnessed it, it was written down and began to spread. This is the reality of that there was a resurrected Jesus. It is a fact. It is something you've got to choose. Do I believe that happened or do I not? Now, this fact, this resurrected Jesus, here's the message God put on my heart today. A resurrected Jesus gives us hope of a resurrected heart. A resurrected Jesus gives us hope of a resurrected heart. <clears throat> I think of this in, in two ways, really. Uh, one, for those of you who are already believers and followers of Jesus, there, there will be days and there will be seasons of discouragement and doubt and struggles and days where you begin to question the very thing that you believed at one time, that the, there will be days where you think, man, it, 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 is God really here with me? And, and, and you won't want to admit that you're doubting this, but there will be discouragement where, where you've heard the saying, I just didn't have the heart to get out of bed this morning. I didn't have the heart to go to work. I, I want to encourage you, if you're in that place, because Jesus conquered death, you have hope for a resurrected heart. That you can find encouragement again, that God will carry you out of that, and he will use the valley that you're in for good. I can promise you that. More importantly, Ephesians 2.1 says this, a resurrected heart, a resurrected life. It says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. I preached a sermon on this once called Checkmate. The, the reality is we were dead in our sins. That means we had no life. We didn't even have the strength to pursue Jesus, that he pursued us. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. So if you're here and, and you've never professed Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, I want to tell you, maybe you're carrying the guilt, the shame, the worry, the doubt, the burden 
Not knowing what is your future and your eternity holds. Not knowing if you have purpose in your life and you're carrying all that. It says, oh yeah, you were dead in your sins. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. That means as an unbeliever, simple faith in Jesus Christ, you move from death that yourself is crucified and you come to life. Immediately, immediately things are different. This is the truth. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was crucified. He died on the cross, took the punishment that we all deserved, and Jesus was resurrected. I've shared that with you today. You get to choose how to respond to it. I want to share just uh, uh, really quickly one example in, in the gospel accounts of a story of a resurrected heart. And I think you'll find uh, in Peter, who's we're going to talk, who we're going to talk about just for a minute, you're going to find yourself. I want you to look for yourself in Peter. See, there was a point in Peter's life where he was just a fisherman. And he was raised as a Jew, and he believed, and he knew all the Old Testament Scripture, and he knew the law, and he knew the Torah, and he knew all these things. And there was a time that his brother came to him, Andrew, and was like, Peter, hey, I think I just met the Messiah. And Peter's like, whatever. You can imagine Peter, like, whatever, we've been waiting hundreds of years. Yeah, I believe in a Messiah, but, you know, he had got numb to it. And it's like, Andrew's like, no, I'll come here. I want you to see him. And so Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. There was a time in Simon's life he met Jesus for the first time. There was a time you met Jesus for the first time. And something happens with, with Peter when the first time he meets him, uh, Jesus says to him, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. It's called Peter. He changes his name. The first thing I want to tell you about a resurrected heart is you become a new person. That when he looked at Simon, he said, I see you're a fisherman right now, but you're going to be a rock. The first time Jesus met you, the first time you met Jesus, he sees you who you are, and you may be the, the disgruntled, you may be divorced, you may be addicted, you may be whatever that thing is, but he doesn't just see you for who you are, he sees who he's going to make you into who you can and will be. And he begins immediately to speak a new character into you, to change your relationships. He makes you a new person. Galatians 2.20, Paul said it like this, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. You thankful for that this morning? So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said this to the church of Corinth. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. If you're an unbeliever and you say, I don't like the person I am right now. I'm bitter. I'm depressed. I'm anxious about everything. I'm hateful to my spouse. I'm hateful to my kids. This is the promise not that immediately, but, but God can change you from the inside out. He says, the old life is gone, and a new life has begun. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
Not only did Peter become a new person, not only can you and, and did you become a new person if you're a believer, <clears throat> you also find a new purpose. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. This is the second time Jesus meets Peter. He says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Peter and Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. Can you imagine Jesus stepping into your, your, your career, wherever you are, whatever you do for a living, living at school, at the workplace, at the, the courthouse, at the bank, at the, at the hospital, where it is, and, and walks in and he just says, he looks at him and he says, follow me. This is what happened to Peter. And verse 20 says, immediately they left their nets. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Does that mean Jesus wants you to stop being a, a nurse or a teacher or whatever? No, 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 no. But he does want to change your goals and priorities. He does want to give you new purpose in and where you are. Some of you, he may call you out. He called me out of what I was doing. It may, not, it may not call you. It may call you into what you were doing. You may be a teacher who your main purpose is to retire. Anybody got that? As your, so I'm a teacher. I'm here, and my purpose and my M.O. is to get through it. All right? And all of a sudden, Jesus gets a hold of your heart, and now you, what you saw as 30 snotty-nosed kids are living souls that need hope. That need love. And all of a sudden, you have a new purpose. He said it like this to the Corinthians. We are Christ's ambassadors. That you get to be Jesus in the school, at the hospital, on the construction site, in your family. If you're a full-time parent, if you're retired, you get to do it at tutors, at breakfast on Monday morning. You become an ambassador. You have a new purpose. While he was a new person and had a new purpose, one thing he was not is did not become was perfect. You remember that for just a minute? He, he, had a, he was new. He had a new life. He had a new purpose, but he's not perfect. And you won't be either. And so the, the, the third thing I want you to see in a, in a, in a resurrected heart is a new power. You see, if we could follow the law and be perfect on our own, we wouldn't even need Jesus. I'm going to ask you not to get all hopped up about religion. I'm not going to ask you to get all hopped up about, I can wear the right clothes, I can go to the right place, I don't cuss anymore. You know, all these things that you get self-righteous about. You can't do enough to be good enough. The law has one purpose. It is to shine the light on the fact that you cannot be perfect. And that you need a savior. That you need to put your life inside of someone else. And that someone else is Jesus Christ. Who fulfilled the law completely. You see, when you have a, a resurrected heart, you have a new power living inside of you. We sang about it earlier. The resurrection power living inside of you. Because Peter, you know what he did? Yeah, he met Jesus. He decided to follow Jesus then he struggled to follow Jesus. Struggle, man. He was a mess. Peter was a mess. Yeah, he left his net that day. But he also, at uh, one point in his life, 
Um, I mean, even from the beginning, he doubted when Jesus said, cast your net on that side. He's like, I'm the fisherman. I fish all the time. I know where to cast my net. All right? Are you that guy to Jesus? When he speaks to you, you're figuring your own life out. And you're like, I got this figured out. But it's always empty. And you finally listen and it's full. That was Peter. Peter also was scared to death. Jesus sent him out on a, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Storm came, thought he was going to drown. And then, then somebody comes walking on the water. He thinks it's a ghost. And then finally realizes it's Jesus. It's like, oh man, if it's you, Jesus, let me come out to you. And Jesus is like, come on. Peter steps out and begins to walk on the water. And he does what you, you and I do. Take our eyes off Jesus. Start to look at the wind. And the waves. And the doubt. And the discouragement. And the brokenness around us, and we're like, why am, I so, why am I having so much anxiety? Why am I so scared today? Why don't I even want to talk to people today? And it's simply because Peter, taking his eyes off of Jesus, he struggled to follow. And so he screams out, Jesus, save me. And Jesus reaches out and grabs him and saves him and says, oh, you have little faith. Why are you doubting me? Can you hear Jesus speaking to that right now into your situation? That you're trying to, to, to swim as hard as you can to get out of. You're trying to stay afloat. And he, he just wants to say to you, you little faith, why are you doubting me? All you have to say is, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. And then we find Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything's getting ready to go down, man. All of history hinges on this night. And Peter takes a nap. Are you with me? He's like, pray. Jesus is like, pray for me. He's like, I'm going to sleep. I'm trying to pray, but I can't keep my eyes open. Hey, Jesus wakes him up, Peter, back to sleep. Finally, when the guards come and they're getting ready, and Jesus is getting ready to betray Jesus, he's getting ready to get arrested. They wake, up, wake Peter up, and he just comes out with a sword and cuts a guy's ear off. You know, like this is Peter. He struggled to follow. Can, can, can you relate to that Peter? That, man, I said I was following you, Jesus. Then this week I did all these things that I thought I wouldn't do, and I said I'd never do again, and here I am. I did it. Messed up. He struggled to follow. And then Jesus says, Peter, you're going to de deny me. I'd never do that, Jesus. Till he gets saw a little girl at a campfire after Jesus had been crucified, and she's like, hey, weren't you with that Jesus guy? No, who's that? I don't know Jesus. I wasn't with him. Never connect me with him. He died. Thought he was going to be a king. But Peter, the first time he met Jesus, Jesus knew where he was headed. Peter wasn't going to get there on his own. Peter called him rock, and that, uh, Jesus called him rock, and that's what he was going to become. Jesus reveals himself to him in the resurrected state. And then even then, in John chapter 21, Peter leads a bunch of disciples to go fishing. Even after all that, all that he's experienced with Jesus, he goes back to who he was and what he knows and what he's comfortable with. And he goes back out. He picked up his nets again, and he got back on the boat, and they all went out, and they said, we know how to fish, and they toiled all night, and y'all know what they caught, right? This is the second time this happened. What'd they catch? Nothing. Until a man from the shore yells, hey, 
Peter's like, oh, God, another one of these. And then he said, Jesus yells, cast your net on the other side. And Peter's like, oh, my gosh, whatever, okay. And he just does it because he's probably so mad and he's bitter. And he's like, just whatever. And he throws it over there. And the boat almost sinks. Peter remembers the words, you're Simon, now you're Peter. Flashing his mind, he remembers Jesus by the shore saying, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. This is a guy who's done this before. And he knows immediately that's Jesus on the shore. He rips his tunic, his coat off, dives in the water, swims to the shore. And him and Jesus sit down and have breakfast around a campfire. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? Y'all know this story, John 21. Peter says, yeah, I love you. Jesus says, well, feed my sheep. Jesus says again, do you love me? Peter says, you know I love you, Lord. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus says again, do you love me, Peter? And he uses the, a different Greek word each time. This increases in his commitment and his devotion and love, what he's asking him. And John says, you know I love you. interesting thing here that happens is I love John because being a follower who sometimes fails is way better than being someone who fails to follow. You follow me for a minute? Don't stay away from Jesus because you think you can't be good enough. You can't be the Christian. You can't do all the things. That's no excuse. None of us can. That's why you need him. So it is better to be a follower that fails sometimes than someone who fails to follow. The, the, the beautiful truth of this is that God's grace, his faithfulness can compensate for your unfaithfulness. That he leaves the 99 who think they're righteous to find the one sheep that's jumped in the briar patch, and that's usually me. Maybe it's not you. But it's me. Here's what happens, though, in this new power that, that Peter has in his resurrected heart. In Acts 4, we find a whole new Peter. Find a whole, the, the Peter that couldn't even tell the little girl by the campfire I hung out with Jesus for a minute. Couldn't even say that much. Yeah, I knew him. Now stands before the high priest, the leaders of Israel, the most religious elite of the time. And they brought him in. They've arrested him. And they bring him before them. And, and, and they bring the disciples. And they bring Peter. And he said, they say, by what power or in whose name have you done this? Did you heal that man? See, this is Peter got new power. He's healing people. Power of the Holy Spirit living inside him. It says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people. I got, man, this right here should give you chills. This man who was from the backwoods, uneducated, should never speak with finesse in front of this group. He was not an attorney. He stands up and he says, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. The man you, I mean, he points the finger. 
He couldn't tell the little girl by the campfire. Now he's pointing fingers at the religious elite. And he says, this is the man that you crucified. You tried to kill him. You, you, you've tried to ignore him. You've listened to all the lies about him. But God raised him from the dead. And in the resurrection, his hope for a resurrected heart. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, and this is how Peter ends his short speech. The stone you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. You see, Peter, what, what really happened with Peter is he, he had lived in uh, into the, the, the passage from Isaiah 64. It says, O Lord, you are our Father. He lived into this truth where he was saying, God, I am the clay. And you are the potter. Peter didn't bring about his own boldness to stand before them people. God himself, from the time he was born, had purpose and a plan for Peter. Even Peter didn't even know it. Peter could look back over his life at that moment and be like, I remember that time I was scared on the storm and I thought I was going to die and I messed up. But God's grace saved me. It'll save me again. And all these times that he thought were bad in his life, he sees now as the potter shaping him into who he was meant to be. At the end of this, the, the religious leaders, after Peter finishes talking, then they say they could tell he had been with Jesus. Can people tell you've been with Jesus? Is it obvious you're a new person? Is it obvious you got new purpose? you got a new power inside of you, bringing boldness and courage like Peter had. Uh, I'm going to just finish with this question. This is, this is a rock. Y'all know what a rock is? It's a rock. I, I, I think about a rock, and I think about that line, the stone that you builders rejected. You see, I made an offering to you at the beginning of this. It said the resurrection is a historical fact, and you have to do something with it. Every single person in this room is going to do something with it before you leave right now. You're going to do one of two things. One, you're going to be like those people. You're going to look Jesus in the face and hear the way, the truth, and the life, and you're going to cast it to the side. You're going to be like, oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, I hear it every Easter. I come here it every Easter, and it's a thing, and... I heard it and kind of think, yeah, Jesus, it's what we do in eastern Kentucky. We go to church, and you're just going to cast him over to the side. Some of you are going to say, man, that hit me different today. He's alive. This is real. And on that, I want to build my life. On that, I'm going all in on that cornerstone. He is the foundation that I want to build my life.
And when you make that decision, the beautiful thing is, is he begins to build your life. You become clay in the potter's hands, and you immediately have a new purpose. You become a new person. You've got new power. Now, to you that have been following Jesus for a long time, you just need to be reminded the devil's lied to you. You've gotten discouraged. You began to question, am I a new person? You are. You've gotten discouraged. Say, do I really have purpose? Why, why am I even here? And I just feel like all this stuff around me is falling apart and, and I don't have purpose. Well, God's, if you can tune the voices out like the little girl at the softball game and try to hear the coach for a minute, you have purpose. You are God's workmanship, his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good things in advance for you to do. And you have new power. You are not defeated. You are on the winning team. And don't let Satan get you to living that way. You're breathing today. The first words Jesus spoke to Peter were, follow me. The last words Jesus spoke to Peter were, follow me. No matter where you're at in your walk today, I'm going to invite you as the worship team comes to make a decision. decision with the chief cornerstone what will you do with him you can muddy the waters and ask all kinds of different questions about religion and whatever but this is the anchor for which salvation rests is do you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ believe he is our Lord and Savior that he was crucified and rose again on the third day. We're going to sing this song. We're going to take communion in the middle of it. We're going to open up the altar. Somebody will be here to pray with you if God's dealing with your heart. The name of this song is So I Can Live. It was written by our youth group here with the help of, of uh, Beck and Tim Smallwood. We're going to sing that song this morning. It says, So I could live now and in eternity. You have hope to be with Him. It's the final invitation I give. The words of Jesus, very simple. Just follow me.